everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Vet Bed Mind. Uh, my name is Sean McVeigh, and I host with Rachel Teichberg. Uh Right now, she's behind the scenes, and I get to do this solo today. Uh, but we created The Vet Bed Mind uh, with the idea of, it was really a post-pandemic uh, response in terms of VGP. Uh, I, I, for many years, have been talking about what ails practices, uh, what's wrong with our psychology, what's wrong with our operations, what's wrong with our uh, human-animal bond. It's, you know, some I questioned it all. And I've been known for being a person who kind of digs up trouble a little bit and tries to see if we can push the envelope a bit. But it occurred to me during this downturn that, uh, you know, I'm, I wanted to talk about things that were not necessarily happy, but that were encouraging and uplifting and live more in the solution because I've unearthed the problem for a while and I just thought in the spirit of COVID, you know, why don't we look at some solutions here because we can't change what is. So we call it the vet med mind and we focus on success. And that's another buzzword that I really wanted to focus in on because I think so many veterinarians come into the profession with this idea of what success is, but it's 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 put upon them. <laughs> it's not what they really wanted to do with their lives. And, and as a professional, that can sometimes happen to you. So we wanted to celebrate people that we felt like had created some sort of success in their life in veterinary medicine and it, uh, found that balance. So in that vein, we have a guest today, Dr. Caitlin DeWild. And uh, Dr. DeWild has a unique focus in veterinary medicine and a unique story, but I'm not going to read a bio. We like to let you introduce yourself. Tell us about you and about what you're doing in veterinary medicine and why that's successful. Oh, well, the, that's a loaded question, but I will give sure it a go. Is. I will give it a go. <laughs> um, well, th- first off, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be a guest on the show. And I love the idea of focusing on something more positive because it's, you know, always always a slippery slope for our industry. And certainly one I've definitely been down myself professionally more than once. But um, so what I do now, I own a company called The Social DVM. And we do a few things, um, mostly all around digital marketing. So we work with veterinary clinics to manage their digital marketing. We work with industry groups to help them with their marketing to veterinary professionals. And then the kind of the third arm, which is my favorite arm, is that we help veterinary professionals learn to do it themselves. Because I do really feel like that's where marketing is most successful if it's done by people on the ground. So wait a minute. You have a veterinary degree? I do. You're a licensed veterinarian. I do. And you are not in the surgery suite cutting flesh every day. Good Lord, no. And yeah. you're not like tell us about that transition because I, I think it's amazing and I'm I applaud it. I if you've listened to or watched my career along the way, I've always said that if we could get doctors trained in some aspect of business operations, whatever that is, yeah. they're the best to do it because they kind of have firsthand knowledge of connecting the dots. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, yeah. So I, I am a vet. I graduated in 2009 from the University of Illinois. And I was really lucky that um, even before I graduated, I had a really great mentor who kind of saw the writing on the wall for me that maybe traditional practice wasn't my forte or wasn't going to be the, the the be all end all. And he really um, took me under his wing and I learned a lot more about business and about management probably than the average pre-vet student did. And so I came was out. Was he a veterinarian? He was, yeah. He was a veterinarian. 
Um, and so he was, uh, he was the vet that actually booked me to go on calls with reps because he wanted me to see the rep side of it. And then when we had consultants come in as, you know, even like a 19 year old, he'd be like, Caitlin needs to come and see this. And I'm I'm really so grateful for that experience because I got to see it early on, you know, and, and on the, how it really looks. So, um, but yeah, so I, I graduated in 2009, which was a great time to graduate in a recession is the opposite problem that everyone is having now. But um, I, I worked for a few years uh, and then needed to, you know, kind of my first job, got that under under my wings, needed something else and was desperate to find something. So I went to work at a clinic that actually had no computers or technology at all in the practice. Um, I also, 2009. Wow. And this was 2012. Even I had a few years wow. under my belt. Wow. So um, it was, I always make, uh, make the, dis- tell the story. And do you remember those credit card machines that would go like, yes. like that was the most sophisticated piece that we had in that office. It was, it was terrible, but um, I was desperate for a job and I, I needed, I needed it. And so I took the job and luckily the owner, um, knew he maybe needed some updates and technology, um, but had been wildly successful on his own without it. So I understand sometimes like what, if it isn't broke, why fix it? Right. Um, but he kind of let me take that over. And so I learned all kinds of things that I never would have learned before. We didn't have a practice manager. So by default, I was kind of doing some of that. Um, I had to learn about accounting. So we weren't driving the hours over to the accountant every day or every week, and then driving back to pick up the paychecks, like stuff like that, (laughs) Um, ordering all that kind of stuff. And then eventually practice management system, computers, all kinds of things. So that, um, kind of gave me a taste of practice management and um, a little bit more of a, how can we make this business more efficient and better? How can we grow? How can we make this more profitable? How can we make this work better for the people that are here too, right? Um, And so at that same time was when I, as a doctor, was in the exam room and people were starting to like look stuff up as I'm explaining it to them, or they're trying to price match the prescription food I'm recommending before they leave. And I was, my natural reaction is to get real mad about that. (laughs) I'm trying to tell you something, listen to me, you know, but then I realized like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not how they like to consume information and I'm not giving it to them in a way that works for them. And I sort of get that because I don't like to listen to stuff either, you know, like, so I started doing social media. I, I built us a really terrible website. And um, because I was so kind of data mined and I had to prove it to him, the owner, to let me do it, I had to prove that it worked. I kept data on everything. And within a year, 30% of our new client traffic was coming from social media. It was great. And then about that same time, I realized that um, the business was not headed in the direction that I thought it was. And at the same time, I had my first kid. And I thought, you know, maybe working 70 hours a week and every Saturday is not the best overall life success for me. Uh, So maybe (laughs) I could do a little this and a little that. So that's kind of where I, that's when I started the social DVM. And it was part-time for a long time. And now... And, and 
before we get to that, I want to recap because I, we always try and look for themes of what people define as success. And I heard a couple of things that you know already come up over and over. And one is exposure early in life to something that turned you on. And you had a mentor. You had, you know, so many people, I think it's assumed that veterinarians get mentors. And my experience is, is that de facto mentorship in veterinary medicine is whoever the owner of the first practice is that you go to work for, unless you've had other exposure. So you got clued in and then a person who invested in you, that was the third thing, your that mentor slash veterinarian who invested in you saw that you would be best suited for another path. So, you know, for our listeners out there, success, you know, cluing in early in life, what you like to do, getting a mentor in life to help you with that. And, um, you know, knowing when you're not on the right path and you're not following your calling. So baby forced that for you in some ways. And Mm -hmm. so now you're like, I can be a consultant and I can be a veterinarian. Is that what you're doing? Yep. So I, I, uh, still work. Uh, I only do two days a month now and uh, that's the perfect balance because I can still, uh, try to all of the heartworm and flea prevention straight. And I love being in practice. I really do. It's not that I don't want to do that, but when I had to holistically look at everything in my life, what makes me the happiest, but lets me do all of the things. This is, this is what works for me. But, um, I, I did give up surgery like a long time ago. So you will never surgery, but, um, I'll, I'll do your, uh, you know, preventative care and, uh, I I love endocrine cases, so I'll, I'll do those all day long, but yeah, I think finding out what you're good at and, um, you know, kind of along the lines of what you said about picking the path that that you need. I think that's what a lot of people, unfortunately, think you have to do it all. And even in general practice, and I, I know several veterinarians that are like, hey, I, you know, I just want to do surgery or, hey, I just want to do rehab or, hey, I just want to do, for me, not surgery mm-hmm. in, in business. You know, I think being honest about that and that's okay um, if you can figure out a way to make it work. Right. You got to not every practice. That's not the need that every practice has, unfortunately, but some, something to um, make yourself really good in the, the fields that you are in so that you are desirable to, to those practices. And understanding that so many people I meet that are, if not envious, resentful, or frustrated about success or their lack of success, how they define it or chasing a dollar and it's not quite enough, um, so many of those people haven't answered that question or haven't listened to what the solution is to the question of what can I do to change my situation? Because one of the things I think about veterinary medicine, and this is just me who's a psychotherapist who happened to get into managing hospitals, uh, and, and it's worked out pretty well for me. Uh, I, I just think about how self-determined I was to get somewhere, uh, whether, it, but I didn't know where it was going to be, but to, like, I am going to forge this path, whatever it is. And I, I wish the more veterinarians would, and veterinary employees too, because it looks lateral on the outside. It looks like you can only be a doctor, only be a nurse, only be a manager, but it's business. And there's every single way that you can go in veterinary medicine. If you'll just stand up to the plate and say, Hey, let me do this. Now you had a mentor who encouraged this, but what would you say to people who want to do 
marketing, digital marketing in their hospital, and they don't know where to start, or they're with somebody who's maybe kind of technologically challenged and doesn't see the value in it. <laughs> yeah, and that that happens more than you'd think, right? That um, and it's hard, especially in the last few years. It's hard to it's hard to quantify. Period. The mm-hmm. ROI there, you know, okay. it's really hard to to get a good handle on that. But I think the first thing that you have to do is that you have to understand the owner's why. What is it that they need, and how can you help them achieve it? So if their goal is more appointments then your social media content and actions have to support that. If their goal is hiring, that's totally different, right? So (laughs) if it's a goal and a why that you can be aligned on, then I think it's time to say, okay, I really have this passion. Show them some visual because I really feel like the people that don't get it or don't understand the value it's because they're not using it themselves. They don't understand what it means to say, I want to do a reel about our practice or I want to, they don't understand that an ad could target this many people for this many dollars um, in a, this defined you know, objectives. Uh, I think showing them visuals, uh, even if you haven't employed them yet, right? Or deployed them yet. If you can put them in draft mode, this is what it could look like. And then say, can we try it for this amount of time? Because a lot of people also come to owners or leaders in the practice and say, we have to do this. And like you were saying, it's like a black or white, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a lateral situation. You can only go one way. And that's not the case. You can change or you could turn it off. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people really need that, especially if they're hesitant, that trial basis. Let's try it and then see. But Mm -hmm. I think Also, at this stage, the good thing about the way our economy and market and profession is at the moment, if you've got somebody that's interested in something, I think most owners will understand that they need to allow somebody to do something that makes them happy in their job. Yeah. (laughs) That is a way to keep them. Regardless of who's doing it, that's a good retention solution, finding a way for people to move up. But regardless of who's doing it, there's got to be at least some sort of timeline plan and an introductory period with the promise or assurance that uh, this can be stopped or started at any time, just buy in for one quarter so that we can measure this. If uh, and I love what you said about, because we talk about this all the time at Veterinary Growth Partners and when we're coaching uh, clinics on their, they're kind of like a street, we call it a pathway plan, but they want you know, a strategic plan. And they, the aha light comes on something about from moving from Operation Whack-A-Mole to, you know, focused intention. You know, like I have these three things I want to accomplish. And uh, if I can get these three things done in a year, then I move on to the next three things. And, you know, and what is the groundwork for all that? They, they, they build casework on that kind of thinking. But yet when it comes, when I say they, the hospital builds casework on that kind of analytical thinking. I see this, I do this, I get this response, then I do this. And, and I see it all the way through to the end, which is healed animal, happy client revenue in my pocket. But yet when it comes to process about how they, they 
business process, they completely eschew it, don't follow it at all. And so right. as a veterinarian, do you know why that is? And, <laughs> and how do you how do you combat this resistance to process outside of medicine? Yeah. In a veterinary um, hospital, because you're a consultant and you're a doctor. So I thought it was an interesting kind of because to me, success is when you put process with passion together. You know, and I would agree with that. And I think, you know, when you first asked that question, like, what's why is it that vets are like that? I was like, I have if I could answer that, I'd be a vigilionaire. But, (laughs) you know, really what I think it is, is because that's how we approach patients. Right. There's no same thing the patient every time, even like a complex case, a diabetic, there's going to be the factors from the owner, the factors from the owner's other animals. There's going to be the budget. There's going to be the Very blood nice. work. There's yeah. going to be the food. And so we have to, we're, we're constantly changing it. <laughs> there's not one like system that always works because you have to adjust for all those factors. And I think, unfortunately, that we sometimes get a little lost in that when it comes to translating those processes to business things, because you're, you're waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? What's okay. it going to be? All right. That's my guess, but yeah. I, no, I that's, a, that's, that's a great way to look at it. So what, you know, I know you consult and you practice and you write and you, which I want to get into next. Uh, but what do you say to the hospital to get them started if they are resistant to business process? So what do you do? Because there's got to be, I know most veterinarians are resistant to business process. I appeal to them from the emotional standpoint. I literally appeal to better. I, I don't have you heard me lecture before. Have we? I have, I have many okay. times. Oh, well, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because then you know what I talk about and, and I try to appeal to their sense of, if you would like it to be a bit less crazy feeling and a bit, bit less stressful and a bit more manageable, let's work on process. And the reward is they lo- they lessen stress and hopefully everything budgetarily improves because that's one of the things we're managing. But what is the carrot you hold out there or what? how do you influence people to change kind of ingrained beliefs or behaviors? Yeah. And I'll confess it's it's a little bit different for every client, right? And it kind of goes back to their why. If the why that they're working with marketing is because they they don't have enough business, that's a very different why than I just can't handle it because we have too many other things going on, right? So, you know, a lot of times uh I as a vet am gonna be nerdy and I'm gonna I'm gonna appeal to data and I'm gonna say, okay, if this is what you need, you're gonna go promotion from the Sean McVeigh method. And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna give you this number. <laughs> if this is the number want to hit, then this is what we're going to go for. So I really try to reinforce that that um, with the benchmarks and insights that we can get from, from marketing. Because I think a lot of people have think marketing in general is so ambiguous. And again, it's notoriously hard to track. They think you can't. So when I can come in and say, well, here's these numbers to support it, then that kind of calms them down. But I still am a big... Um, project management, task management, process-oriented person to actually get the work done. But some of them just want us to do it. So we don't, they don't have to look at it. But if they're going to have somebody on the ground, they really need to do those things. 
Do you find that there's generational differences in understanding of what marketing is or even a defining what marketing is? A hundred percent. And you speak to that? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think there's so many differences because even, uh, and I'll, I'll be honest, I turned 40 this year, so I'm not wow. like, folks, you can't see her, but she looks about 23. <laughs> oh, thanks. You're my favorite. But you no, know, now I can even tell a difference between the, the vets that are graduating now and me. And I used to kind of think I was in the younger, you know, marketing yeah. era and I'm not anymore. <laughs> I'm like, Oh no. You are not Gen Z. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So then, you know, even between me and practice owners. So you're a millennial, a, right? Then? Yeah. Like right on the cusp. Oh my God. Cause I'm a baby boomer and I think Rachel's a millennial too. I don't know. So yeah. So that means, <laughs> wow. I have great grandchildren generationally. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the, we're talking about positive things on the show. That's right. That's right. That's right. I love my wrinkles. Thank you. (laughs) Comes with a a wisdom, you know, so I I certainly don't want to be any younger than I am right now, but I'm not sure I want to be too much older. So we'll see. But, you know, realistically, you know, I tell vet students all the time when I, I didn't get Facebook until I was a fourth year. And it was only because I was putting off studying for the NABLE and I could see my friends on it. But, and at the time, only college students could get on, right? You couldn't, like businesses couldn't get on, regular people couldn't get on. So in that short amount of time from 2009 to now is, is been a pretty big change. And when you think about that amount of change and that amount of time compared to someone who is at the ownership level, most of the time, they are light years away from that, right? A lot of changes happen. And what I've found is a real problem is the people that have their heart in marketing or want to market are often trying to convince someone who generationally did not experience it the same way. And so then it's difficult to explain the value in the mm-hmm. impact. <laughs> they want to put an ad on the shopping cart or on the real yeah. estate patch, right? Yeah. And, and print new business somebody, cards. And print yeah, new business had, cards, yeah. I had someone just tell me they can still, they were still spending $4,000 a year on a Yellow Pages ad. And I'm <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> So, you know, but that had worked with them historically. And again, it comes back to, well, if if you don't have a main motivation for marketing, if you're happy where you're at and you don't need to grow or you don't need to hire, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't blame some of these people for not pursuing it sooner. But that just means that widens the gap between what marketing was and what it is today. <laughs> and it's going to be something different in two more years. You know, it's going to change. And that's that's the hard part too. When when we as doctors learn about diseases, they kind of stay the same for a while, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You have to relearn it every like six months, and you kind of do. For, yes, for, yes, because uh, yes, absolutely. What and in that vein, um, what are kind of the I don't want to say trends, but what are the activities at a, at a very minimal, you think, that a practice, a general practice, and I'll, we'll just use an average, you know, kind of VGP general practice, which, you know, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but we're talking a three doctor practice, you know, one and a half to two and a half million dollars in revenue. Uh, it, that could be the middle of the bell curve, you know, and just, so what, what should that practice be doing digitally kind of at a bare minimum now? Yeah. 
I think at a bare minimum, every practice should be on Facebook, Instagram, and Google business. I think if you are in a competitive area, you need to be posting on those channels, at least Facebook and Instagram, probably daily or every other day. Um, I think if you are really trying to go up on a level, then there's a lot of other platforms that kind of expand from there. Mm -hmm. But the content, I think, is the bigger thing. So I think you need to be investing in video content. I think you need to be investing in paid ads. Uh, Does that mean that people at work should be having their phones out? I think so, for sure. Oh, my goodness. And they should be videotaping things that are happening. I listen to video. Is that what it's called? Recording. Excuse me. I'm I'm 60, folks. They should be recording things that happen in their clinic that they can later even edit and submit or upload to these platforms that you're talking about. Why? Because why do people like that? I think it's the same reason people stay on TikTok for hours and hours. It is. It is. It's addictive, first of all. But it's it's so much easier to convey the message and the emotion in a video than it is a photo anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not true for every person. Like personally, for me, I would still rather read the article than watch the video. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm not every person. And the majority of social media users do want to see things. And it's once they're in that mindset to be just chilling out watching TikTok or watching Instagram reels, that's when you're going to capture their attention because they are relaxed. They're spending time doing something that they enjoy and they're already there. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the same can be, it can happen with photos and and infographics and things like that on social. I don't want to say that it has to be all video, but the algorithms and the platforms prefer it for obvious reasons. And they're basically forcing that hand. You can just tell so much more of a story. And that's what people like to see from us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us about, I understand that you are now a a certified accomplished author. (laughs) Tell us about your book and where people can get it and what it's about. Sure. So uh, my book is Federal Marketing and Social Media. And I wrote it because I'm a, I'm a lot of a nerd. I don't even want to say a little bit of a nerd. I'm a lot of a nerd. And, and I'm old now. So I, I actually still really like to have a textbook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I went and I was speaking at, uh, at the University of Illinois, my alma mater, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they've gotten rid of their library <laughs> because it's everything's on computer now. And I'm sort of like very sad about it. <laughs> yes, where do you study? Where do you go? I know nobody has a t- nobody has a TV anymore either. None of my, my younger generation family. I'm like, where do you watch? They're like, Uncle Sean, really, seriously, we sit wherever we sit and we see it on our iPad or our phone. Oh like, my what about the big woofer speakers and the sound and the, no, dude, we don't do that. But yeah, I, I really felt like there was not, it, it, I will say mine is on ebook too. So if you like are, are not a book person, that's, that's totally cool. And I get that. But I, I really felt like there wasn't one spot where all of this information was. Um, and if you wanted to do it yourself, I wanted you to be able to do it. And I wanted you to be able to say, okay, I'm having a problem with Google business or with Facebook messenger or with infographics or with targeted ads or, and I wanted you to be able to get to that chapter in one place and it to have the info, but then it could also say, okay, you've read this 
now do these things. Mm -hmm. And so every chapter has like an action steps, like do this to make sure that it's done for your practice so that you have a solid foundation. So um, it was a little bit of a passion project, but I'm, I'm glad it's done and it's out there and I hope it's helpful to someone. Thank you. I hope that uh, our listeners go find it and look for uh, your, your, your book, because it aligns with our mission at VGP, which was, we really at VGP wanted to be one-stop shopping for management and personnel related issues, you know, whatever that is. Cause back in the day, I always felt like I had to go to a thousand different places to find anything. And that was back when we used to do a decimal system to find things. So I, 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 empathize with the lamentation of no library. It's shocking that there's not a media room somewhere in a house now either. <laughs> um, what, What's the future look like for veterinary medicine and media interaction, do you think? Is there what's on the horizon that our listeners might be? I, I think I guess I think about how we used to talk about telemedicine being on the horizon. I remember in the 80s and 90s and even early aughts, we talked about virtual appointments, but COVID really pushed us over the edge, and thank God in some ways. And now we're literally, it's kind of a it's just a thing. It's a part of a, something you can do is a digital appointment for therapy, for, for veterinary visits, for a lot of different things. I don't think the veterinarians have embraced that as much as they probably can. So, but that's the example of what I'm looking for. Like something that's almost medical records being digitized was paradigm changing. You know, it's stuff that's going to impact how we practice medicine. Do you see some things coming up or know some things? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think from the marketing standpoint, I think, you know, a lot of people only in their head thought about marketing to get more clients. And that I think is totally <laughs> already phasing out, right? So I think most clients now are uh, most clinics and practices that I know that are that are doing a good job with marketing have clearly defined their why, but they're using it in a couple different ways. So a lot of practices are now using marketing and social media as a hiring tool and not just a like, here's the job ad, but more like, this is what it's like to work here. And this is what we do every day and showing people what the culture is, I think is, is a real really reality show. <laughs> a real reality show. I think that's a, a huge benefit. I think the other other things that I see marketing being able to do are to help practices market, not to every client, but to the right client, because we can't be everything to everybody. And I think that's a hard pill for a lot of veterinarians to swallow, that we want to just help all the people and all the pets. And that's realistically not working well <laughs> for a lot of reasons and causes some problems for our team. So I think, you know, when I market now, even for my own practice, I am targeting a very specific kind of person who likes a specific kind of thing that I have and nobody else has it, or at least not for the next 20 miles. Right. And so I think showing how we're different and getting to the right client is going to be really important for moving forward. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's clear that gone are the days and, and I, I you know, that you just, I want to say, go look at an ad, but then I would say that you would just go to uh, Indeed or something like that. I mean, that's that's a helpful tool, I'm sure, for some places. But, you know, what is now, and we can speak about this, what, what, what are the ways to use specifically social media to hire? And, and what do you feel about that in terms of 
our efforts in a field that is self-defined as being short on staff? You know, what can we do to ramp that up or change paradigms? From my perspective, I'm telling people that this is the new reality for the next 25 years. <laughs> and I think you're going to have to really alter your operations around the new reality and alter your expectations of what a workday looks like and feels like to accommodate the staff you're able to get. And further, you're going to have to get staff that really want to be a part of your vibe as opposed to just somebody who's breathing, which has kind of been our criteria before. And right. so, so what, what, what it, you know, because it's, it's the question on everybody's mind. How do I get more staff? I don't think they're really saying that. I think they're saying, how do I get dependable, reliable people that will stay? Yeah. And I think to what you just said is what matters. I think the only way to find dependable people that are reliable and will stay are people that fit with your culture, not fit with the job description. I mean, that's been true for a long time. I don't want to hire just a warm body. I want somebody that can come and do the job, but can also fit in with everyone else we have here Mm -hmm. and with what our why is or how we like to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think making sure those expectations are very clear in all of your marketing, right? If you're a high volume um, treat them and treat them clinic, that's totally fine. But people need to know that, right? They need to know if you are a totally quiet, bougie, one appointment at a, a every two hours clinic, mm-hmm. <laughs> like to know that because that's not going to be what jives with a lot of people's expectations or what they want, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on what they're looking for. If you've got a practice that's totally kid friendly and, you know, there's an associated daycare or something like that's a huge selling point for a lot of people. If you have a practice that no one has kids and they are totally, you know, out and having a good time socially after work, that might jive for some people. Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong, but I think we need to do a better job of showing off the people who already work there and what they enjoy doing at work and how they get through the day and what that looks like for a client. So you, because, you know, you've looked for a job before you Mm -hmm. want to go to a place that you're going to be happy, but you also want to go to a place you're going to be proud of, right? You're going to be work that they're doing. And and you need to make sure you fit those bills for the people. I, I just think a lot of people don't show anything about any of those things on their marketing. They're like, mm-hmm. there's our cat dental before and after shots. Like, mm-hmm. I would imagine that you have more business than you know what to do with. I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> that you get lots of requests for people to work with you. Uh, I hope I hope that that continues to be the case. Good, after good, good. Well, how would you define success? Um, you know, what, what is your definition of success? Because I'm making an assumption that you feel and think you are successful. Uh, I'll be honest; it depends on the day, right? Yeah. So I don't want I don't want to always. Um, I, I worry about that at some point, right? I don't want people to think, oh, you know, she's got to figure it out because. You, you kind of have to change over time, right? And there are definitely going to be days when you're like, am I doing the right thing? <laughs> should I should I go work at Target? Like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, sometimes. <laughs> but um, so I, I think for the most part, I, I feel like I've, I've hit the definition of success for me, which was to be professionally challenged every day and do something new because that's important to me. I got really tired of like, The idea of seeing just ear infections for the next 30 years at one point was like very concerning to me. (laughs) 
So I have, I have a lot of uh, variation and a lot of new stuff every day. So that's personally and professionally rewarding. I feel like um, I can help a lot of veterinary people, which that makes me really happy because I know it's a hard place to be. Um, and I can really help them do something that for me is pretty easy, but for them might be a big mountain. And if I can help them, that makes me so, so happy. I, I love that feeling. Um, and then I feel like I can be a good mom uh, and a good friend and a good family member because I'll be honest, when I was working 70 to 80 <laughs> hours a week, that was not always happening. So I feel like I have created a more flexible um, arrangement. So a lot of my clients know that I will email them at nine to 10 o'clock at night sometimes. <laughs> That's okay for me because I got to leave at 4.30 to go take somebody to soccer. So for me, I'm happy to get those things done. Work-life balance, I think, is another myth in that there is no perfect formula for work-life balance. It is about addressing taking care. I think of, as humans, it's about finding regulation in our life, you know, because when we're out of regulation, we literally physiologically and emotionally get anxious and, yeah. and and you know and so so much about getting better from burnout or getting better from fatigue is about getting back into some sort of regularity and rhythm that is healthy for you and so i yeah. think it's about finding that out you mentioned family you know i think a lot of people get upset with themselves because they they see their families as inconvenience or they see their work as an inconvenience to their family. And, 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 and I think maybe the way to look at it is if you only have six things that you can look at in your life, then look at those six things and you have to look at some other things to give up. But when I see people choosing work or family, my first thought is maybe there's a couple other things that might need to go. <laughs> so you have more time for that because we all have to kind of balance that. For the most yeah. part, even if you don't have kids, you still have family that you have to pay attention right. to. And part of that, so I hear you saying that your work life, that your part of your success is variation in your life, passion and fulfillment in your endeavors that are really work oriented, and then still having enough available for the stuff that really even matters more than that, which is in your case, kids and family. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Well, you know that I think the formulas aren't that different for a lot of different people, but there's something in the way that you're going to give this message that people are going to hear differently because it's coming from you and uh, your particular experience. So I really, really appreciate you sharing with us uh, your journey. Uh, I wish you uh, gobs of success uh, with your book, <laughs> and I will continue to send uh, clients your way, and we will at BGP should you need them. But my hunch is you're probably busy. But before we go, uh, some rapid fire questions. How about that? Okay, sounds good. All right. What was the name of your first pet? Puffy. <laughs> Puffy. Terrible. What's your favorite kind of music? Um, alt rock. All right, right on. What's your number one guilty pleasure? Golden Girls. Oh my God, Sophia. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Golden Girls. And they are like my time. So you must have watched them in reruns too, huh? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I still do. That's like, if I need to chill out, I'm like, okay. That's so funny. That in the big bang theory, I can play those things on loop and just be comforted yep. by their crazy chatter. Oh, that's great. Um, what's one thing on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? Mm, oh man, that is uh, a great question. I have not yet gotten to travel as I would like to take like a huge travel trip, like a month and like live somewhere else. Gotcha. Like I just be immersed in, in a different culture and a different part of the world. As they say in Australia and other civilized places where you get vacation, you're going to go on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> what is your go-to airport snack? Uh, peanut M&Ms. Mm. What's your karaoke song when you get up and sing? Oh man, this is a, a tough one probably uh something actually it's gonna lately it's the lizzo song oh that's great <laughs> i love it we're lizzo fans here too at bgp and finally if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice what would that be stop worrying yeah i come from stop a long worrying. line of worrying and it, it really doesn't help at all <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, you did really well, and, and thank you. How do you feel like it went? Oh, you think, I like, think it went pretty well. I survived. Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine, and I really mean this, it could be a kennel worker, it could be the person who cleans your hospital, uh, it, it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate. Uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're gonna have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but I'm always interested to hear what you think of when we say who's a success in your life, what's going on in their vet med mind. <laughs>